in half a day, Guahusi Edward Leon Guerrero, and I am today's host for Fediatsu because they couldn't find any other host. Joking, joking. <laughs> and I'm here with the Honorable Dave Lotz. And if you would like to introduce yourself, just tell us a little bit about your background. Well, thank, thank you. And I'm, it's my pleasure to be here. I've lived on Guam since 1970, the Navy brought me here to what was then a Naval Communications Station. Stayed on the island, and my wife and I had some great opportunities. I spent a considerable amount of time as the Parks Administrator for the Department of Parks and Recreation. I, uh, a few years later, I went and joined Anderson Air Force Base Environmental Flight, where I had responsibilities for environmental review and cultural resources. Uh, that really gave me learning experience to learn an awful lot about the military buildup, the ex extensive impacts of that. And then I had another brief time uh, between service and my last position, which I retired earlier this year. I was the historian, the cultural resource program manager at the War in the Pacific National Historical Park. Um, probably my biggest notoriety is is hiking with Guam Boonie Stoppers and also uh, authoring the best tracks on Guam, the guide to the hiking trails of our island, which has really been an asset for people to really get out and really learn firsthand about our island, about the scenic, the natural beauty, and uh, our cultural resources, uh, particularly the extensive Chamorro uh, habitation sites, uh, most, most commonly known as as laddies don't size, but I think uh, you know, learning about these, learning the history, it's uh, phenomenal, the history of our island and what we need to do to protect our cultural heritage. Hmm. So as he explained, you know, he's very well qualified. He's a very important member and he's very renowned here on Guam. And he's also, correct me if I'm wrong, but you are part of the, the board of, for the march that's coming up soon? the Self-Determination March. What is your role in it? Um, I'm happy to have joined as a spokesperson and whatever um, opportunities that they may need me to participate and encourage my friends to join our march uh, for self-determination. We need to, everybody, just gather at Adeloupe. Let's show that there's solidarity because the Chamorro people need a venue 
need a clear-cut message to have uh, self-determination uh, decided. I've I have been somewhat uh, not so perhaps so outspoken on the issue, but what really got me really concerned a few years ago about self-determination was when you begin to look at the military buildup. The military buildup in these documents that come out of the Pentagon says the United States has sovereignty over the territory of Guam. Well, you know, what is sovereignty? Sovereignty is, is the right for self-determination for a people. And then, you know, you already I was concerned about destruction of cultural resources. But the sovereignty issue, that was a very worrisome concern because Chamorro people have never uh, delegated or assigned sovereignty to any of the colonial masters, whether the Spanish or the Japanese briefly or, or the United States. When you look at the Treaty of Paris, France and, uh, uh, I'm sorry, it was in Paris, France, uh, between uh, Spain and the United States, there was nobody from Guam there. And there is clauses in the uh, treaty that has an obligation for the U.S. Congress to, to understand and fulfill the requirements uh, about civil rights and uh, political status. But if you look at sovereignty, that to me is what self-determination is based upon. And that needs to be exercised and made even clear that self-determination is an inherent human right. And uh, earlier this week, Robert Underwood gave a very good, very good speech on the subject that goes into all the long history since then. But the thing that really sparked me was simple word of, of sovereignty and uh, how we need to express that for, for self-determination. Right. So just to let you all know, all the viewers know, on September 1st, Labor Day is going to be on September 2nd, our Labor Day is going to be the self-determination march. And, I, and you know, probably lots of people would ask you, which is that, you know, you, you, you don't have no known ancestry to this island dating back before the Organic Act. So you're not classified as a native inhabitant according to Guam law. So why do you support self-determination? Well, first of all, I'm not terribly worried about my ancestry on the island, but it wasn't. It's basically, you know, basically human rights, uh, indigenous inhabitants, and there is a, um, there's, there's sufficient documentation uh, coming out of the United Nations and, and uh, documents the United States signed and ratified, and then subsequent things out of the United States. But you also look at it's, it's, it's civil rights. The United States, frankly, doesn't have the best history of dealing right. with, in, with indigenous groups, and that, that is a whole other issue. But that doesn't negate what has to be done. To me, the only way to assert your rights is to just do that. March, assert your rights. Uh, you look at... Uh, 
I think it was down in Alabama in the mid-50s. You've heard of Rosa Parks, right? Yes. Now, what did she do? She got tired of sitting in the back of the bus. What did she do? She asserted her rights. You don't get your self-determination. You don't have your rights understood unless you assert them. You can't be complacent. If you're complacent, and I tend to think we've had too much complacency on leadership on this island, and the military right. takes advantage of that. So we need as individuals and collectively to assert our rights. And one of the best ways to do it, show up Monday morning, Labor Day. I can't think of a better day to do this than Labor Day. You know the history of Labor Day? What is Labor Day for? It's to recognize the hardworking uh, laborers in the United States. We don't recognize the capitalists. We don't have Capitalist Day. We have Labor Day because of... <laughs> I'm going to steal that from you. That's a, that's a good... Because it was decided, the labor movement, and I'm afraid too many people are forgetting what came about with the labor movement. Right. Too many things we take for granted, and now we see people uh, whittling away at those rights in the mainland. I know I'm digressing, but there's a connection between your rights for self-determination and labor rights. Right. Uh, the 40-hour work week, the minimum wage, overtime, paid vacation, wow. health care, child labor laws. Think of all that collectively. That's human rights. And to me, self-determination is a component of that. And we just need, again, uh, let's march. Now remember, that's Labor Day. And thank goodness we don't celebrate Capitalist Day. <laughs> you, know, uh, you know, I was reading some comments on some Facebook advertisements on the indigenous and many of the comments said that, wow, this is so anti-American. They want to separate from the United States. You know, could you clearly air about how this is a nonpartisan march? Well, first of all, if things are tried to be labeled as partisan, that is a legal definition of an election of individuals, whether they're Republican or Democrat. That has nothing to do with it. Right. As far as un-American, I can't think of anything more American than asserting our rights. And maybe we... How did the United States begin? It's a Revolutionary War. Oh. <laughs> they didn't sit back in Philadelphia and write that the, the uh, King of England, could you please <laughs> acknowledge that we have some rights? Didn't do that. <laughs> they asserted their rights. Right. And too often when people are, are saying that, they... You need to remind them of their history. Now, I've also, I'm on Facebook, and I, I have some people who try and uh, express some concern about this. But it's like, you know, you've, you've got some interesting points, but the bigger picture is, again, human rights, sovereignty, uh, self-determination. That doesn't exclude people. That is all-encompassing. And we're not going to get into the weeds of uh, 
all sorts of details because uh, as we've seen in the media, we've got the people for independence, the people for uh, freely associated states and the people for statehood. Um, that will be sorted out. And I had one individual this morning on Facebook said, I think he wanted to see what a done deal was. Dave, what do you think should be done? And I said, well, you know, I think down the way road, we should just have a, a great assembly of the Chamorro people get together and discuss these issues. He really wanted to know what was going to be the result of this. And I said, that's to be determined by the people. Mm -hmm. So when you start a social movement, you don't know the, the details of why right. it comes out. So, you know, when they started the uh, Declaration of Independence, did they, did they at that time just know that Guam was going to become an unincorporated territory of the United States? No, and of course, they didn't even have a concept of what an unincorporated territory was, which is another, another whole issue that unfortunately got wrapped up in racist uh, politics 100 years ago and needs to be completely relooked at. Right. Wow. So as you know, Dave makes a lot of great points from saying that, you know, we don't celebrate uh, Capitalist Day, we celebrate Labor Day. And what better day to have the march to assert the human rights, sovereignty, and self-determination, those key three themes. And he also mentioned how, you know, in fact, the idea of asserting your rights is in fact the most American thing you could do. As he mentioned, the colonists, the 13 colonists, they didn't go and write a letter to the to King George asking, well, would you kindly, you know, would you kindly give us some representation? Would you kindly allow us to be self-governing? No, they didn't do that. In fact, what they did was they fought a war over their rights, which in the Declaration of Independence says that they are rights given by the creator. So these rights are independence from any state, whether that is Great Britain or the United States, because these are fundamental human rights. So he makes a lot of great points. And finally, one last contention that I read all over Facebook, and I also hear many of my friends always ask me too, which is, you know, you know, the march, is it, is it racist? The fact that this march is symbolizing that it's for the indigenous rich morals doesn't it exclude the non-chamorals here isn't that racist under u.s constitution nobody's being excluded from this march everybody's going to be there with the understanding that this is an issue of human rights as we said human rights sovereignty self-determination we need to be united we cannot allow other forces to divide us and also interesting, when you talk about racism, basic human character is now racist. Racism is a learned, it's mm -hmm. learned. You don't, you don't have any genes in your body that are racist gene. It's learned from life experiences. Wow. So unfortunately, it, it's one of those things that uh, has been used, I think, to divide us. 
uh, and been used for manipulative purposes by certain political groups in the United States. And it's very unfortunate. But remember, Labor Day is the labor is the people. And this is for the people of Guam to express their unity for self-determination. Wow. Wow, so good to have you here. You're you're very articulate with your words. And you know, not only that, not only is he a spokesman for the this self-determination march, which is gonna happen September 2nd, not the first. On Labor Day, September 2nd, again, not the first, is that he also made headlines back in, I believe, 2018 when, you know, he somehow, was it, what's the word, he stumbled or he checked upon the MOG site. So could you tell us a little bit about that story? What exactly happened about well, that? Well, I'm a, I'm a board member of Guam Preservation Trust, and we had... We thought we were working to save the cultural landscape of this uh, unique Chamorro Upland Interior Village up at uh, Naval Computer and Telecommunications Station. And I hadn't heard anything for a while. So what better use of my time than on a Sunday morning, I just decided to drive out there and take a look myself. I fortunately had a I had retired from Navy Civil Service, so they gave me an ID that allowed me on base. So I drove up to the base. I'd been previously stationed there, so I, I knew the geography. And I drove out to a location where the work was to be going on for the new Marine Corps base. Um, I'd already gone through the checkpoint, and then I went to another gate where they had fenced off the construction area. Sat in my car, pondering really kind of what to do, uh, a nice uh, fellow about my age uh, came up and just asked what I was doing. And I said, I, I showed him, told him who I was and who I worked for, showed him my ID and said, I'm interested in um, what's happening to the Mago Village site up there. Um, and the first red flag went up because he didn't know about the archaeology site. And uh, I noticed in front of me that an extensive uh, clearing of the trees. So, uh, and I quickly established a rapport with him, asked him who he was, and he was from Texas, out working, looking for explosive ordinances for the military. And so I just said, well, let's go take a look at the site. So I got in his pickup truck, we drove out there, and the place had been pretty well uh, uh, cleared. I, I took a bunch of pictures. And basically, the rest is history because that's what got people quite concerned about the Navy's uh, disregard for the cultural village of Magua. And to me, it's really incredible. When they did their planning, it was like they just wanted to put their footprint of the Marine base on that part of the island instead of doing some nice work and making it compatible, saving the village, saving the poor forest. But no, they did, they did that. Wow. Uh, now it's almost funny. About once every week, I see my pictures on the on the <laughs> news. So uh, it's a it's a wake up call that we cannot be passive to not only protect our rights, but there's an awful lot of other things we need to protect. We need to protect our heritage, and then there's another aspect that's been going along 
parallel that I have not been involved, but people uh, exercising their right to speak the indigenous Chamorro language. I mean, you think of the history of that. I didn't go to school here, but I've heard signs that says you can't speak Chamorro. Well, people disregarded that, and now Chamorro is taught in the schools. Right. So to me, there's several aspects. We have to assert our rights to protect what is our communities, what we value, and we've mentioned many of those aspects. Political rights, protecting our cultural heritage, protecting our language, protecting our culture, because that identifies who we are. If we do not uh, advocate the cultural aspects of the island, then it will go away and then people will just say, well, who are you or where's your heritage? Uh, one of the things I've, I've taken issue with the military buildup and the programmatic agreement, the Navy says we went to Congress and got $12 million for a, a repository for artifacts. Uh, whoopee. What are the artifacts? They're selected uh, tools and other aspects like pieces of pottery that they've taken from places like Magua and then they destroy it. They put them in boxes, they put them in a cultural depository or redepository. It's basically a warehouse. Wow. Now, if you want to immerse yourself in Chamorro heritage, do you want to go visit a bunch of boxes in a warehouse? <laughs> or do you want to go and 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 visit a a a landscape with laddie stones? I have had many experiences and particularly one of our associates here, Michael Bavacco, I went with him to Paga once, and I really liked the way he was asking permission right. to go to the site. Now, uh, since that time, I think we need to also resurrect, in the United States, you have Native Americans who, we should be doing this because Native Americans are saying, these sites are sacred. We need to express that more here. Because why are they sacred? Okay, we talk about spirits, but you're also respecting the ancestors who are buried on those at that location. Right. So it's like you go to a traditional cemetery here on Guam or in the States, you, you show respect when you go there. You don't play football, you don't have a party, you don't have a dance. Your activities are such that you are respecting it. And I think we should show that here. And to me, the first thing about respecting Laddie Stone's a cultural site is, first of all, you don't destroy it. That's the ultimate insult. Wow. If, you, if, you don't, if you don't like your neighbor, most of the time you just don't associate with them, but if you don't like somebody, do you burn your house down? No, you don't. No, you don't. Wow. What do you think of then the, you know, I, I believe it was like one of their PR spokesmen of the military, they said that the military is preserving 
more, they're doing more to preserve that without them, they wouldn't find these cultural sites that without them, these cultural sites wouldn't be preserved. What do you think of that? A lot of these sites they find, they turn out to destroy. The most, the, the most ironic is, again, up at Northwest Field, uh, Nick Cam's. We're gonna destroy 100 acres of the forest, but we're also gonna enhance 100 acres. Yes. Why don't you just enhance the 200 acres? <laughs> uh, and it's like, okay, we're going to save the one tree up at Northwest Field, but we're going to destroy the forest around it. it wow. Makes, the logic is, is baffling. Wow. Um, let's, take a, let's take a holistic view of our resources. Remember, our cultural and natural resources are unique. Why you can potentially, they're talking about re restoring limestone forests, okay? Right. Has that ever been done? No. Uh, are you and I gonna be around to see a healthy, mature limestone forest? I probably won't. If you live to be the year 80 or 90, you may see it. And then if you look about laddie stones, once it's gone, it's gone. We need to preserve all of our all of our sites, right? And we should just clearly say, and the and the community was quite upset about Magua Village. But it's not only the fact of being upset. We need to strengthen our resolve, and how that's been done. That can get into a whole other other right. lecture. But we need we need our political leaders to be more advocates and more assertive in what is good for the people of Guam. The political leaders of Guam were elected by who? Were they elected by the people in the Pentagon? No, elected by you and me and, and the people of Guam. They gotta remember that because it's like for years, if you drove on a naval base Guam, you drive onto the base, show your ID, and then you pass this, this sign and it says, the needs of the Navy come first. That says it all in a, a nutshell. The needs of the Navy come first. Now, I can understand that. But that says they only think of themselves. Are they thinking of other things only when it possibly benefits them? So keep that in mind. Basic element of, of organizations, particularly organizations that have, have power. They're gonna be more or less introvert. And I'm afraid we've seen, we've seen too much of uh, not the military not really paying attention to what they should be doing to work with the community. And while we talk and while it's said that um, supposedly we have this, this partnership about the buildup with the military, True partnerships are when both are truly equal. Wow. It's not like when the military says, this is what we want, and then Guam says, okay. No, partnership is truly equal. We don't have a partnership. And of course, then we, when you, if you don't have a partnership, what do you have? And then that revolves back around to political status, self-determination, 
sovereignty. So you see the military buildup is taking advantage of the fact that the sovereignty of the people of Guam is not recognized in the United States very proud to say we have sovereignty over Guam, which is really not, it's fundamentally wrong. Hmm. So we're not even in a, as you said, in a partnership, which is what people may think here. But like you said, a partnership involves equality between the two rather than one is able to dictate to the other whatever the interests of the one in power. You can almost look at it if you were true partnership it could almost be looked at as like a marriage. If one person is fed up with the marriage, they go to the court and get a divorce. <laughs> now, can, can Guam just go to some court and get a divorce? <laughs> Not under the United States legal system. Right. Um, maybe, maybe it's something to think about. Where can we go to get a divorce from the United States? Wow, so. But you see, that's something to think about. <laughs> In self-determination, we're too often thinking we have to go to the United States Congress and ask. So if you use self-determination along with, wait a minute, wait a minute, U.S. Congress, you need to recognize the sovereignty of the people of the United States. And wait a minute, the people of Guam. I think, I think that needs to be finessed into this and, and asserted. Now, people will say, you might upset the United States. Right. Yeah, that's too bad. <laughs> that's, I like how you're very, you're very straightforward about this. <laughs> but, but in some ways, maybe we have a bit too much of a loyal colonial um, servant mentality. Right. So, and I know a lot of people are, are concerned of what would happen. Uh, and they, they like the status quo. They say they like the status quo. Well, my reaction to that is, then you like the idea that the future of Guam is being determined by the U.S. military. You're happy with that have much to say to that. I mean, if you're happy with somebody else determining what goes on. Now, Guam has, Guam has kind of fallen through the cracks because if you're, if you're a state, you have voice in the House and Senate with members in both bodies to make a decision that affects like Hawaii or California. Right. If you're an independent country, you can decide what the U.S. military does. That's called status of forces agreement. Wow. So the United States military is very fortunate from their point of view. They have sovereignty. They, they, can, they can decide. Do whatever and they want, pretty much. Pretty much so, unless somebody... Um, Someone like you just comes along and just happens to go ahead. <laughs> assert assert our, our rights. So I think... It's hard to say what the end result will be, but self-determination is a fundamental human right, and we need to move on the process. We may not go the route that 
has been thought of consistently, we may have to look at different opportunities. But let's leave those options open for a healthy discussion at some other time. Right. Or perhaps we keep getting back to this Monday Labor Day. Let's go on the <laughs> let's go on the walk and we have a nice talk about it. <laughs> exactly. And and you know, there's probably a couple people who are probably wondering, you know, when they see you obviously they like, oh that guy's not tomorrow. Same with me. They probably don't think I'm tomorrow either. And they must be wondering, you know, why are you there? Why is this guy so invested in this, in these self-determination? Why is he so invested in this? Like, why it's does he because so this much? is my home and I'm concerned about the future of my home. I want my home to be decided by my friends who live here, wow. not by people in the Beltway, in the Pentagon, in Washington, D.C. Wow. I mean, why does, why does that fellow in the hermit kingdom in North Korea threatened us with missiles. Because well, the military's here. So it's not because of our freedom or, or any, you know, as someone might say. How come he doesn't threaten Anatahan? There's no military base on Anatahan. Because maybe they're not free. <laughs> no, it's because there's no military base there. So... Why do we have a military base here? Because, well, why do we have military bases here? Why is there a military buildup? Because who decided we were going to become the tip of the spear? Did you and I decide that? No. So who decided it? The Pentagon. There you go. <laughs> they made a decision for the future of the island. Right. Do, are we satisfied with that? Well, me and you, we're not satisfied with that. No, no. Does... does does the military, if we had to make a decision, I tend to think we would say the military has a role to play in the future of Guam, but the people of Guam will decide that role. Mm, wow. Could you say that again? Just to... Well, I, I'm, I've, I've never said the military should not be on Guam. I'm simply saying the role of the military in the future of Guam will be determined by the people of Guam. And that does not sound anti-military at all or no. anti-American at all. I mean, when you think right. about it, do we like the Naval Hospital being here? Sure we do. Do we like the Army's anti-ballistic missile defense system on the island? Sure we do. It protects us. That makes a lot of sense. The other things I think are very questionable. But we need to be assertive. So the fact that asserting the rights trying to become equal partners, actual partners, instead of a, you know, a boss, a worker or whatever, that what you're saying is that's a human right and that that's not anti-American at all or it's not anti-military at all. In fact, like you said, it's the most American thing you could do, asserting your rights. That, that's, that's for sure. And we've had an awful lot of... Uh young men and women from the island who've defended those rights. Some of them, unfortunately, have died, but keep in mind, fighting for your rights does not, in the military, does not equate to advocating military control of the island. There's a fundamental difference there. Would you kindly articulate that more? Because I think that's uh, 
a key thing that many people they conflate you know the military rights and all that with control of the island like you were saying well i i think you have to make a clear distinction between service in the military does not transcend to advocating or accepting that the military has control over the future of the island i mean an awful lot of people probably most of the people in the military subscribe to defending the freedoms and what are the freedoms basic human rights we're talking self determination people in all of the states you go back to what we said before uh, they didn't write a letter to king george they had it with king george <laughs> I decided just to become independent. Sure. Now, now if you look at it, maybe if King George was smart, right. He would have said, you know, those colonialists have a few points. Let's just buy into their what they want and maybe that will uh, not necessitate what would be the worst case scenario. Worst case scenario in those days would have been the, the 13 colonies would declare their independence. The English, the king, the king had a choice to make. He decided to send all those troops over. Right. And, uh, and the rest is history. Wow. Okay, so then would you, so in total, from your opinion, do you think that the military buildup would help unlock, help preserve the environment of Guam or? No. No, no. Just affirmative no. No. Just no. You're not no. going to try to politic around that. <laughs> just no. Just no. <laughs> it, uh, I'm, I'm going to give an absolute no because I know there's a lot of money being placed into mitigation. Uh, I've already elaborated on the fact that sure, they're going to build a depository so we can go to a corner here of a uh, campus here of the University of Guam and Mangila and admire the boxes of Chamorro artifacts. And <laughs> that's not the same thing. That's not historic preservation. Uh, I am, I know they're putting money and they're hiring some good professional people as biologists, botanists to try and restore the limestone forest. Whether this will succeed is undetermined. We've had too many invasive species, too much uh, competition for the limited land. Limestone forest is being reduced, even as part of the military buildup. I don't know if it will succeed. And the way the federal government works their funding, it's on a year-to-year -year basis. If you're going to manage, truly want to manage to recreate a limestone forest, let's begin to talk at a minimum of 50 years. Wow. 50 years. So it's not something that could just be done like that. And then you know how you know how budgets work in Guam and particularly the federal government? Some senator from name a state you don't like. No, you don't have to. <laughs> he could say, why are we spending $5 million for the last 30 years for limestone forests on Guam. I don't like that. And, and they just get rid of it. Wow. And then that whole continuity of effort is lost. 
So it's just some good PR that. And he's gaining votes at home. I'm cutting government waste. <laughs> you see these people on, on the TV, they go on a roll. We're cutting government waste. And he comes up with a bunch of programs that by themselves sound strange. But if you know something about how the program fits into a bigger picture, it makes a lot of sense. Right. So there's the, the, the risk here is commitments for environmental restoration as, as mitigation are extremely subject to the political budget process within the United States Congress. And this needs a long-term commitment. And you just don't get that in the political system of the U.S. Congress. So there's a real risk that who of us that are listening today or are in this room are going to be around here in 50 years to go to the Congress and ask for money for limestone forest restoration. Hopefully you will be here. Are you going to be dean of the college or president? <laughs> you can advocate that? Well, hopefully our island, you know, our aquifer isn't poisoned and gone by then. You know? Wow, so... But, but the, the point is, when you're dealing with an environmental and cultural resource, you just, you need to look at it long-term, comprehensive, and you need commitment of resources. Right. Hey, wow. And then, you know, I will advocate one thing is, is with land, make preservation through legal mechanisms permanent. I, I will say the military has done a good job of preserving cultural natural resources up to one point. And you know what that one point is? when they need the land for a military function. Okay. And then they sacrifice those resources. Wow. That's what's happened. They're, they're clearing, um, there's an area up by Northwest Field where the firing range is going in. That there's more for, that they're clearing? Well, it's in the process, but my point is, we all thought that was part of the Overlay Guam National Wildlife Refuge. They're gonna preserve the forest to once the snake is gone, bring back the birds. Right. And then all of a sudden, the military firing range is a priority. All of a sudden, that priority trumps preserving the forest. The forest goes away. You have a firing range. Wow. So what are the real priorities? Is, is in fact, the military preserving the land for some unanticipated military function. We have also heard in the media, uh, the US military is thinking of stationing intermediate range ballistic missiles on Guam. Right. Where's that gonna go? We don't know. So other things come along that the military feels, and one day that could unfortunately materialize. Wow, thank you so much for enlightening not only the, the listeners, but also me, because I didn't know, you know, half of all the stuff that you were saying. You no, know, you explained very, you know, articulately, you know, that, you know, self-determination, it's not racist, it's a human right that, the, that you absolutely said no to the 
the PR that all oh, the military is good for the environment because they'll unlock more resources, they'll be able to preserve. So you absolutely disagree with that and with your background in environmentalism and also in the, the board of pres, uh, uh, preserve on Guam that you have authority in that. And now we are here to answer some questions if there are any questions. Okay, okay, well, we're out of time. Okay, so so again, uh, I'd like to thank uh, Dave Lotz. It was an honor having you here. You know, it's great for you to enlighten us about all these things, especially coming from a, a, a non-Samoru too. You know, many people, and, and like you said, it's because this is your home, you like this place, and you want the, the indigenous here also to decide. So I thank you very much. And again, September 2nd is the march on Labor Day. The time will be at 8 a.m. at, what's the location? At Adeloop, 8 a.m. at Adeloop on September 2nd on Labor Day. It was great to have Dave Lotz here. Any last words you would like to say? Well, th thank you very much. I'm, I'm glad I was able to join you. And where are you going to be Monday morning? Oh, I'm going to be there at Adeloop. Good. And then everybody <laughs> else out there. <laughs> okay. Okay. Wow.